The following is Voices of Experience radio show and podcast. No promotional fees are paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. On with the show. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Eric Krima is on vacation, and uh, he was just up in Alaska doing some fishing. So when we have him on the show next week, we'll find out how he did. Looks like he got some good weather, though. Today, we have Pat Cashman. If you remember Pat Cashman from Almost Live fame, that is a show that ran in Seattle from 1984 to 1998, almost our local Saturday Night Live. It was that good. Um, Pat has done commercials since then. He's been an MC for many years for nonprofits. And now he hosts a podcast with Lisa Foster, and it's called Peculiar Podcast. And that it is, but very well done. For Voices in History today, I had a talk with Ido Vanni in the late 1990s. Remember that name? He was Mr. Baseball prior to Ken Griffey Jr., and of course now Julio Rodriguez, who is capturing really the imagination of Seattle sports. But Ido Vanni was the guy before that. He was a player for the Seattle Rainiers. They won three Pacific Coast League championships in a row. He was a manager for the Rainiers, and also he worked for the Seattle Pilots, the one-year wonder team here in Seattle. Attorney Frank Sidurius will be with us today, and he will talk to us about estate planning, how you can plan your estate in a very cost-effective way. My self-employment tips for today, strengthening your presentation to audience, the do's and the don'ts. The one-hit wonder, this song was an artist who got the title of a Beatles song wrong. The song the Beatles produced was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. You'll have to wait and listen to how that all happened when I play the one-hit wonder at the end of the show. You're listening again to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. What's this show about? People with experience in public affairs, travel, fitness, education, entertainment, with an emphasis on entrepreneurship, which we talk about today. Now, if you would like to comment on anything that you hear on the show today, you can call the Voices of Experience Message Center at 425-653-1166. You may have an idea for a future show. I am all ears, or um, something you heard on the show today, you agree with, disagree, would like to make a comment, we will get it on the air if you would like us to do that. That number again is 425-653-1166. My interview with Pat Cashman coming up next. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos. Almost at KW.com. Pat Cashman is my guest. He grew up in Bend, Oregon, and attended the University of Portland. He moved to Seattle in 1980 when he joined King Five, writing commercials, doing voiceovers, and then came a big break for Pat 
and Seattle as well. He became a regular on a show called Almost Live that aired in Seattle from 1984 to 1999, and he joined an incredible cast of talent. There was John Keister, who hosted Almost Live, Bill Nye, the science guy, who went on to national and worldwide fame, Joel McHale of community fame, Nancy Guppy, Tracy Conway, Bob Nelson, and then, of course, Pat Cashman. In addition to being such a great parody of Seattle and a local focus on our idiosyncrasies, which we have many as a community. It was so strong that NBC, who airs, obviously, Saturday Night Live, allowed King TV to push Saturday Night Live till midnight and almost live as a lead-in starting at 11.30 p.m. That was the clout that Almost Live had during its heyday. After Almost Live, he appeared and produced the 206, and then along with his son Chris, they did a show called Up Late in the Northwest, that aired in Seattle, Portland, Spokane, Eugene, and Medford. So much more to talk about with Pat, so let's just get right to it. My first question is, what is Pat up to now? I, I don't know. I've kind of, kind of taken it in golf uh, parlance. I'm kind of playing it where it lies. I was in a little TV series a couple of months ago, uh, which I, I'm playing, which is kind of cool because I play a, a radio station program director of whom I've known several. So it is a little, there's a little verisimilitude to it because uh, I, I'm, I'm coming in, I'm a new program director. The morning team at this radio station has been there for many years, always number one, doing very well. But I kind of come in with the veil threat that I'm going to maybe have to make some changes at the radio station. So I did that. I'm, I'm doing a few little projects like that. I did an auction uh, last, uh, about, three weeks ago with my son up in uh, Seattle at Fremont Studios. You know, I got to be candid and come clean. I never really knew about Up Late. I've watched a few episodes of that, and you know, I know you had 206 before that. And yeah. that was, I'm telling you, that was a brilliant show. I mean, it was really, I mean, it certainly came out of Almost Live. You could see those elements and 206. But almost, I thought that was such a great show, the best you've done. I mean, the variety show, um, it was, as I say, tight, funny. You had really good guests, and it flowed really well. And But it didn't last that long, and why not? I mean, it just really seemed like a show. You had Portland, you had Oregon as an audience. Yeah. I mean, pulling those together was smart. And uh, Anyhow, what, what happened to that show, and, and what, what are your thoughts on it? My son and I basically were the the staff of the show. We had a, we also had a, a producer, executive producer, but, uh, you know, by the time we finished paying the crew and, and, uh, other expenses for the show, we, we didn't have much left in the kitty and, and it wasn't, you know, providing enough income, frankly, to justify the work involved with it. It was a wonderful privilege to get to do it. It, uh, you know, I think our thinking was that if we can just get on the air in some of the other markets in the Northwest, the Portlands, the Spokane's, Boise, um, Eugene, and Medford, and then we're, you know, this is going to open wide the possibilities for advertising, and uh, and it and it kind of didn't work that way. It, you know, let's say a Pemco Insurance that was a prime sponsor for us. In our first iteration, the 206, that was worked great for them because they were big in Seattle and uh, still are. 
but they, they, they at that moment they had no, they didn't have a, any presence in Spokane. They didn't, you know, or Boise. So it uh, it didn't make any sense for them to be sponsoring in places where they didn't exist yet. I decided we would just wrap things up because it was just getting too hard to do. Those are the kind. I think that's the kind of that's kind of how I operated when I was more of a full time in the TV broadcasting business. I think that's the model. You got to be at least in local markets um, of any size. You have to be able to do lots of things, and uh, you can't just say I'm I'm a reporter. That's it. I mean, it it would be nice if it stayed that way, but. Sure, it's not like Bob Hope back in the 30s when someone just handed him a script and said, read this, and then he does his thing and go home. And how about going now to your podcast right now with Lisa Foster? That's been on for a few years, and uh, it sounds like that's going well. Is that going to continue for the foreseeable future? I think so. Uh, We enjoy doing it. It's just, uh, you know, I I remember I wrote down some topics that we we just recorded again the other day. In fact, I was post-producing it. Uh, when you called, you know, I, I had written some subjects down. I said I wanted to ask Lisa what she thought about the idea that's being floated about showing, uh, gra- you know, graphic pictures, honest pictures of dead kids who've been shot by uh, mass in a mass shooting. Uh, and it kind of, you probably know this. It kind of dates back to I think nineteen mid fifties. There was a young black man named Emmett Till, whose mother, and he was uh, killed and ultimately, you know, murdered and de- defaced by a couple of rednecks. So his mother, Emmett Till's mother, wanted his uh, funeral, you know, the open casket and invited photographers in to take pictures of him. And uh, it was really powerful. And it, it, uh, did a lot to kickstart the civil rights movement at that time. So, so the arguments being made by some now, well, if people think guns are okay and they don't want to change any of the laws and think 18 year olds should be able to buy these AK 15, well, let's just show them what, uh, what, what actually happens instead of being in the abstract about it. Let's show them the devastation that this stuff, uh, creates. And, uh, but then I decided, yeah, I'm not going to, let's not talk about that because, uh, there's lots of other shows that can do that. So like mine. we try to keep it. Yeah. Like yours. Yes. So we try to keep it simple. Just two people, you know, talking over the fence. And I certainly get it. Cause I have this type of show that, you know, don't want to, you know, talk about all of the issues today and you know everybody who sees the hearings are making their own determination what can i add to that so i'm very cautious about yeah. overdoing yeah. that however it's interesting you should say that and i will just say right now and i'll say it i've been for that showing the photographs or whatever it entails for many years now and i've asked that question i'm so sick of you know our thoughts and prayers i'm so sick oh of the God. candles around oh. the fence where everybody dies and flowers and we go back yeah. to our normal lives and everything. And the de- desensitivity of the whole thing, it's like three or four days later, we're back in going about our business. And the next mass shooting, we repeat it. So I totally am in favor of doing that and because nothing has worked up to this point. And, you know, 
one of the things about the assassination of the uh, prime minister, I think that of Japan, just uh, one of the things that that's a tragic story. But last year in Japan, there was one death by guns. You talked about it here. I totally agree yeah. with that. That that needs to be done sooner than later. We have to see the carnage. And I don't understand. We'll show everything else. But why is the media just saying, ah, this is out of bounds? No, this we're not going to do this. And I've wondered that for a long time. I remember in the, the 1980s, I think it was, maybe 90s, there was an idea floated around and I think promulgated by Phil Donahue, among others, that we should have pay-per-view of capital punishment. You show... You show executions on TV. I don't know if you remember hearing about that idea. But they thought for people who favor capital punishment, let's show them what it really looks like, what it really feels like. And uh, and so I remember I took kind of a satirical slant on it for a radio bit I did that is produced, you know, with big music. Let's just say this really happens. And then there's big music, big announcer. It's time for the execution of the month. Here's your host. Blah, 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 blah. And I go, hi, everybody. Thank you for being here. There's a live audience applauding. And uh, welcome to execution of the month. We're going to talk right now to the condemned man, uh, Mr. J- Jonathan Jenkins. Jonathan, how are you feeling? Well, I'm not feeling very good because, I mean, first of all, I didn't commit that crime. Now, look, let's don't go over that again. You've been to court. They made a decision. So water under the bridge, okay? Now, what else are you thinking? Well, uh, I just want to, I just, um, I'll go right back to it, man. I'm not guilty. Look, uh, look uh, just back up, would you? We've got to take a commercial break here. We'll talk again in a minute. You know, So we, I make it like a flippant, typical TV, almost game show atmosphere. I remember at the time thinking that it, it's not that radical of an idea. If you're in favor of something, whatever it may be, you need to get the full picture of of what it is that you're in favor of. You could look at it both ways because there is a certain element to that. It would be entertaining. I mean, to some people, they probably do pay-per-view and pay 20 bucks a month to watch this. Yeah. Yeah. You can't worry about oh. that per se because I think to your point is that we are the ones who are carrying out the execution because we are the citizens of the state. This is on us. And if we want to change it, we can change it. We should see what happens and we don't sanitize it. It's a crazy world. It's a, it's an astounding world right now experiencing. And, and I'm, you know, watching those, those January 6th hearings uh, as if it's the most thrilling show on television because it's amazing to me that this is all this story is the way it's being unfolded and mind boggling. And there's, sure it just seems seems like, a, you know, it's like a comedy contest. Can you top this? Oh, yeah. Wait till you hear this. How about the current Senate hearings on the January 6th attempted coup of the United States government? What scares me about it, we're watching all this stuff, but they still haven't determined whether they're going to indict this guy or not. And I'm waiting until right. that because I feel that if we don't, we're done. I mean, if we let this guy walk, I grew up and we're a nation of laws and no man or woman is above the law. Well, I'm not so sure of that. This is proof positive that it's really not. That's really not the way it works in practical application. But you're right. It's it's it'll be especially dismaying at the end of all of this to see no consequences to the principles, both, you know, Trump and, and uh, those people that uh, 
enable them. You had a podcast the other day saying, I got nothing. And, you know, basically it says, we're winging this thing. And I always wonder about that in the preparation of it. Do you do that? I mean, do you really walk into the studio with her and you got nothing? I know you got some notes or things, but you sound like you're just doing this off the top of your head and it's very well done. It would be an area that I could never myself feel comfortable venturing into. What, what, how do you do that? Is it really off the cuff or is it preparation? Yeah. And it, 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 it is uh, largely off the cuff. There'll be, you know, I do uh, produce bits and things that we might toss to occasionally. And we may have a bit of a discussion before we start recording. Like I, I, I said, hey, why don't we do a thing where I ask you what you got and you got nothing. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And then I say, well, what's the point of doing this podcast? He said, well, because I, I got a lot I want to talk about. You know, then, then we go into our show open. Generally speaking, and if she has something like she's, she's saying, I got something I want to ask you. And that's kind of a big decision I got to make. And I said, don't ask me yet. Let's, let's start recording. So I love it when I'm surprised, as a listener might be, by whatever she or I might say. She gets, uh, you know, she talked about an airline experience a long time ago on one of our very early podcasts that took her from mirth and uh, hilarity to um, tears. You know, it was all in the same little exchange. I just love stuff like that that really goes goes deep emotionally she's uh, i think she works so well because she is so sometimes painfully honest about what she thinks about and her opinions on things i um said 15 20 minutes we're now at 35 minutes but you have time for a couple more questions i reckon so okay make them easy make them really easy. all right so we'll go back and talk about the alaskan fire ants that are invading our state did you read about that no i'm just kidding Oh, boy. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm trying to be you Matt Cashman, all right? It kind of you, falls You don't flat. joke about Alaskan fire ants. No. I, I wanted to ask just about your role models in comedy. Who did you grow up just really laughing at? For me, as a kid, I, I just pretty much couldn't resist any comedy album. They had Shelley Berman, then Bob Newhart. Did you ever heard of Bob and Ray? Yes. Oh, they were wonderful. Just listen to those old Bob and Rays. They are gut busters. And what I particularly love about them, and, I, and I'm not a goody two-shoes, but I love that they don't have, there's nothing uh, that you can't let your little kid listen to. It, it, they never go into raunchy humor or anything like that. It's really just fun, and it's it's wonderfully silly. They play, you know, pompous characters really well. Yeah, I just love this silly premise of like the slow talkers of America and uh, a guy who's written a massive book of U.S. history. I said, do you, do you actually have a uh, degree in history, sir? Well, no, I don't, but I'm, uh, I think I know enough of it to produce this tome. He said, well, uh, okay, fine. But I noticed, uh, I just saw a few glaring errors in your book here. Really? Yes, like for example, you you say that Abraham Lincoln rode to his inauguration in a car. Is that wrong? Oh, there there were, there were no cars in those days. Okay, well that one got by me. You know, he just keeps making excuses for the, all the errors in his history book. Just such a simple premise, but it's so much fun because they sell these characters so well. I also loved 
Stan Freeberg. He was a, a satirist um, and did a lot of, uh, back in the days when they used to do novelty records, he, he did a bunch of them. I don't know if you've ever heard his stuff. I haven't. I've not heard of him. Oh, I recommend it heartily. Let me give you a couple of uh, titles, and they'll all be on YouTube. Um, one, his biggest hit, I guess you'd call it, was called St. George and the Dragon Net. And it's a sort of a send-up of uh, the old Dragnet series, except this guy's an invest- investigating uh, a dragon that was spewing fire at somebody. And, and he in- interrogates these people. It's hard to explain, but it's very cute. Did a lot of song parodies. Uh, my favorite is the Banana Boat song. Um, which was a big hit for Harry Belafonte, I guess, in the 50s. And uh, it, 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 if you listen to the Banana Boat song by Stan Freeberg, F-R-E-B-E-R-G, you'll, you'll hear that the other thing I liked about it was his use of sound effects and music, and that really influenced me. And so I love that kind of stuff. And then as far as comedians go, certainly, uh, you know, every kid had the Cosby records and, uh, I especially love Jonathan Winters. He just laid me out. He was just brilliant. His characters were so rich and just inspiringly hilarious and spontaneous, which which was also very cool, which is one of the things I like about radio, because it is, like you say, a lot of seat-of-the-pants observations and stuff, you know, necessarily scripted like a TV show is. So I, I love those two, the differences between those two medium media. Okay, good enough. Hey, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate oh, Paul, it. It's always, always delightful always talking to you. Same to you, and thanks for your interest, and uh, take care. I'll you be listening. It. My thanks to Pat Cashman. He now hosts a podcast along with Lisa Foster, and it's called Peculiar Podcast, and it does live up to its billing. There was just a recent podcast called I Got Nothing, and Lisa and Pat together pulled it off. They said they had nothing, but they really had everything in that. It was a really good show. And the latest, My Gay Dog Ate My Podcast. Okay, again, that just gives you an idea of what they talk about during their time in their podcast. All you need to do is Google Pat Cashman Podcast, and you will find Peculiar Podcast. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Welcome to this edition to Voices in History. On July 27, 1974, the House Judiciary Committee recommends that America's 37th president, Richard M. Nixon, be impeached and removed 
from office. On July 27, 1949, the world's first jet-propelled airliner makes its maiden test flight in England. And of course, this leads to an incredible breakthrough in the airline industry, and certainly Boeing jumped on that and became the leader in the jet age. On July 28, 1978, National Lampoon's Animal House, starring John Belushi, opens up in U.S. theaters. On July 29, 1958, NASA is created by the U.S. Congress, establishing the National Aeronautics and Space Administration with the responsibility of coordinating America's activities in space. I really enjoy these historical vignettes, and I hope you do too. If you like them as well as I do, all you need to do is Google This Day in History. And for 365 days a year, they have these types of historical footnotes, about a half a dozen to a dozen each day. Very fascinating. And this is courtesy of the History Channel. Frank Sidarius is my guest. I wanted to talk to Frank about estate planning. It's getting towards the end of the year, and it may be time to take a look at your estate or what you may want to do. What are the do's and don'ts? Under what circumstances do you need an estate plan? If you have an estate plan, do you need a will? How much should an estate plan cost you? These questions and more with Frank. What is the difference between a will and an estate plan? Yeah, uh, good question. A, a will uh, is part of an estate plan. I look at it as an estate plan as uh, really a comprehensive plan, you know, on what what you want to do with your assets uh, and, and your affairs while you're alive and then plan for when you die. So a will is part of that overall estate plan, but I, I think you've got to be, folks have to be looking at a comprehensive plan. How many people need a will and an estate plan, like 80%, 20%, 50%? Well, as far as the estate plan, I think everyone should have a plan and uh, uh, not necessarily including a will. So I'm not sure what percentage, but I'd say most folks, uh, most clients I see, uh, a will is part of that estate plan. But I guess my point is just that the the, the estate plan itself has to be something you know, comprehensive, um, you know, keeping in mind everything that you've got, all your assets and what you want to do while you're alive and, and what your wishes are for, you know, after you pass, like the folks I'm talking about that have liquidated everything and put it into financial accounts that are going to pass automatically at their death anyway. So there's no necessity for a will in that situation. That's interesting because, uh, I was thinking that everybody has a will, and mm-hmm. not everybody has an estate plan. When I say everybody, not literally, but you kind of saying that um, a lot of people don't have a will, or not a lot, right. but some don't. And the estate plan is the thing that is the driving force. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think a will is definitely part of most estate plans, but I really look at an estate plan as something that's got to be, uh, you know, a, a comprehensive uh, evaluation of, of your life and, and your affairs and, and uh, you know, how you want things to be handled. And uh, what would a good estate plan look like? 
typically, I'd say the the standard estate plan is a is a we do a power of attorney, and that of course is in effect when you're alive only, and and that designates someone that can make financial decisions for you um, if you're in, incompetent or otherwise, and uh, health health decisions as well. And so a power of attorney is is a very important part of any estate plan. And the will, I mean, that's that's again a standard a standard item in a, in a typical estate plan. In Washington, a community property state, we also have a provision for a community property agreement, and that's an agreement between husband and wife that upon the death of one of them, everything everything automatically transfers to the surviving spouse. Now, how often should you review your estate plan? Well, I, I tell folks anytime there's a major change in circumstances, you should review your estate plan. And I, I would say that with most of my clients, it's every couple of years I'll talk to them. I have uh, one older lady that she'll contact me every few months to make changes to her wills because uh, her only heirs are nieces and nephews. And she'll come in and say that, well, my niece didn't call me, so I'm, I'm cutting back on what she gets. And so, I mean, that's sort of a, a, a outlier example where someone wants to change it every several months. But most of the time, uh, it's just if there's a change in circumstances. But you should review it every every year or two. Uh, I also tell folks to watch legislation, too, and, and uh, uh, that, that's in the area of estate taxes at the federal level and at the state level. What are the biggest mistakes that people make when they put together an estate plan? Is there something that's pretty common that you see? If you don't maintain consistency and awareness of your total picture, and I can give you some examples of that, um, I've seen situations where folks will have a will, but they you know, have beneficiary designations on accounts that don't match what their intent is in their will. And you know, for example, some years ago I had uh, I represented a, a spouse that was in the middle of a divorce, and uh, the husband uh, died and had a life insurance policy, but he hadn't changed his life insurance policy to exclude his soon-to-be divorced spouse. So she ended up getting that life insurance. So. You know, I, I remind folks to make sure that all of your beneficiary designations are consistent with what your your will plan is. And uh, in most cases, uh, people will come in and they're not even aware of what all what beneficiary designations they might have on accounts. Wow, lot to it. It sounds to me <laughs> that uh, you really have to be reviewing this frequently. I'd like to think that you know we've done our estate plan and you know will and all that like to think that, hey, it's done and wrapped up, but you're saying you just have to keep uh, on it and make sure that um, your wishes are still being honored and then also watch out for, obviously, changes in the state and federal government because that's happening exactly. and probably more right now frequently than ever from one administration yeah. to the next. Yeah. I, it's hard to tell what Congress will do on the, I mean, there's some talk of changing the estate tax levels. I mean, it, an exemption at over $11 million, uh, uh, if they drop that back to, you know, 4 or $5 million or whatever, that's going to make a difference for, um, uh, you know, many estates. Sure. Is it expensive to do this? What's the process? How much should somebody be thinking this is the cost of doing this right? Well, that's... Uh, I'll give you the answer, the, the lawyer answer. It depends, and that's the answer that every lawyer gives to every single question. Uh, it, it depends on, on what what it is, uh, how elaborate your estate plan needs to be. 
I've done some very simple wills, um, community property agreements um, that that are just several hundred dollars. But my process here is that uh, I, I issue a, uh, an email to uh, a potential client with a questionnaire, and they fill in the information, send it back to me, and then I can typically quote a, a, f- a flat fee for their estate plan based on what information they send me. But if you start getting into elaborate trust provisions and all that, that can run into several thousand dollars. But, uh, you know, uh, it's... Uh, you know, for a very simple, simple will, it's it should be just several hundred dollars. Okay, got it. What do you see when people don't have an estate plan? And how often do you see that when somebody doesn't have a will or estate plan? And what happens to their property and anything they um, have in their accounts? Yep. The uh, the biggest fear is what I think folks here on national talk shows and all that is if you don't have a will or an estate plan, everything is going to go to the state. And that is, uh, I mean, in over 40 years of doing this, I haven't seen uh, very many, if any, uh, states that, that uh, you know, everything goes into the state of Washington. There are statutes in Washington and other states that if you don't have a will, uh, you die, they call it intestacy, and those statutes will provide where your estate will go. And it, it, there's a huge list that covers all of your relatives, starting with your nearest relatives, you know, and on down quite remotely to distant cousins and all that. So it's highly unlikely that if you die without a, a will uh, or an estate plan that your assets are going to go to the, the state, the state of Washington. So... Um, you know, I mean, that's that's not a reason to not do a will because you want to make sure everything goes where you want it to go. Um, but uh, that's if you don't have a plan, uh, there are statutes that cover that it's going to go to your nearest relatives. If you don't have any relatives uh, or anyone out there, uh, in that event, it would go it would go to the state of Washington. Interesting. I just learned a lot right there. I didn't know that. I, <laughs> I had the same fear. I said, if you don't do this, you know, Jay Inslee's going to get it. Um, <laughs> but you're saying otherwise. That's that's good to hear. My thanks to Frank Sidarius, a partner in the law firm of Sidarius, Lonigan, and Martin. Now, he is active in advising businesses and financial institutions. He has handled cases involving business disputes, creditors' rights, personal injury, wrongful death, and, of course, estate planning. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree from Seattle University, and his law degree is from Gonzaga University. His firm is located in downtown Seattle on Union Street. If you'd like to get in touch with Frank, you can call him at 206-624-2800. That's 206-624-2800. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and 
adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Today, I would like to talk about the do's and the don'ts of making presentations. Here's a do. Always ask the chair of the club that's inviting you to speak, how long do you have to speak? 30 minutes? 40 minutes? Whatever the chair tells you, stick to it. Do not go one second over the allotted time, and this includes questions. Don't talk for more than 20 minutes. Your speech should not last more than 20 minutes. Let your audience take the points that you've made in the direction they want to. I mean, I know the biggest fear is that there won't be any questions. If you get into that circumstance, have a question ready for yourself. In my case, I talk about self-employment a lot. You have a question ready. I would say something like, the most frequent question that I'm asked is, what type of business should I go into? That leads me to another don't. Throw PowerPoint away for luncheon and evening audiences. And then you can't make a relationship with the audience. This is not a departmental meeting where you need to go over PowerPoint, which has its place there. But too often people bring their PowerPoint presentation that they give to their staff and they give it to the general audience of uh, whether it's, again, a luncheon or evening meeting. Another do, practice, practice, practice until you are so sick of your presentation, you want to scream. Believe me, once you get to a live audience, your adrenaline will run some, you have a little nervousness there, and it will sound very fresh, and people are hearing it again for the first time, even though you have said it many, many times. You'll be a lot more confident if you know your subject inside and out. Record your presentations. Hear how you sound. Now, you will sound different to yourself. We all know that. You won't sound like you think you do. But the reason that's good is that you will find yourself saying some tick words like, you know, you know, well, I don't know. And that's why you're here talking about this subject to me. I don't know, and I want to learn more. You get rid of those type of tick words, which I can do. I may have said, you know, in this presentation, I'm not aware of it. And I have a habit of doing that too. And uh, the other thing is the ahs. There's a lot of the pauses. Like I had someone on the air about a month ago and, uh, and then Benny helps me clean that up. Thank you, Benny, for that. So let's see, tell a story. Here are two approaches. Let's say you're giving a speech on climate change or you're hearing a speech on climate change. And the speaker says, The average temperature has spiked 1.5 degrees over the last 50 years. Ice glaciers are melting at a record pace. Well, first of all, I really don't know if 1.5 degrees is really remarkable or not. It doesn't sound that bad to me. But obviously, people think it is. And generally, because I trust science, I think it's a big deal and we should be concerned. But how about another way of putting it? The earth is warming at a record pace. When you drive by Mount Rainier, our majestic mountain on the Cascades, we all love that mountain. I know if you've lived here for any length of time. Picture this. Mount Rainier is a giant iceberg. The equivalent of 200 Mount Rainiers disappeared last year due to climate change. Next year, it will be 300. We must act now. What do you think is more powerful? When you can, tell a story.
Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. Get on board. The water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. A true Seattle baseball legend, Ido Vanny, is with us this morning on Profiles of Experience. She grew up in Seattle, attending Queen Anne High School, and had the first hit, first stolen base, and scored the first run at 6 Seattle Stadium that stood in the heart of Rainier Valley between 1939 and 1978. He was a player on three championship Seattle Rainier baseball teams of the Pacific Coast League. He was also manager and general manager in later years of the Seattle Rainiers. He was also the director of sales for the Seattle Pilots during their one and only major league year in the Pacific Northwest. Good morning, Mr. Vanny, and welcome to Profiles of Experience. Do you think Seattle proved it was a baseball town last fall? I've always said that Seattle was a baseball town from back in the golden areas of 1939, 40, and 41, when Mr. Sick took over the franchise and built a new stadium out there in Rainier Valley called Sick Stadium. I've always said if you give Seattle a winner, the people would go out in the cow pasture to watch you play. What did you make as a player for the Rainiers in 1939? In 1939, I made $250 a month, plus $3 a day meal money, which wasn't an awful lot, but I had a lot of incentive clauses in my contract. Well, what do you think about player salaries today? Well, I, I think the player salaries might be a little out of line, but if they keep getting out of line, even if we build a new stadium, they're going to have to scale a house seats, prices of the seats to accommodate the salaries that are going to come in because those uh, those suites up there, not everybody's going to be able to go up there and sit in those suites. You've got to think of the poor soul that brings a wife and uh, four kids to a ball game. They've got to have seats for those people to come. They're the best salesmen you got around. And if they can't go to the ball game, who's going to go? Do you think the uh, baseball strike permanently hurt baseball? I think it did, and I certainly hope that it doesn't ever happen again. If they do, if they have another baseball strike, they might as well pack up and find a good padlock for these doors on these stadiums because the people will not put up with it. Why do you think that baseball is so enduring and so popular? Well, it's always been a popular game because it's a simple game. The rules haven't changed in 100 years except for this DH that they have, and uh, it's the same confines. You're still playing the same game with the bat and ball and the glove. And the fundamentals of the game are still the same. If you want to bunt, you got to be able to bunt a guy over. you got to hit and run or a stolen base. The only thing that I'd say that it's upgraded to baseball is probably the playing fields that they have today. And probably the uh, uniforms. You played in those wool suits that were, I imagine, extremely hot. We'd go into Sacramento. The temperature would be 115, 118, 120, and you play in those wool suits. And, boy, it was hot. Yeah, we had a 200-game schedule in those days. We played uh, 
uh, a week in each town, which was a, which was a good thing because you could unpack your clothes and you could set up house like you wanted, you know, and you'd be going to the ballpark each day, and you'd probably face one pitcher on Tuesday, and you'd see him again on Sunday or Saturday night, which was very helpful. And you learned uh, to set up schedules on your own little scorecard, how this guy pitched me and got me out the time before. How am I going to hit him again on Saturday night or Sunday? Well, what was your favorite team that you played on and why? Well, my favorite team that I played on here in Seattle was the 1940 team. As a team and as a unit, they played together with good teamwork. And to me, the 1940 team was probably the best one that, that I had here. And I also was associated with many other pennant winners here in Seattle. Baseball legend, Edo Vanny, thank you very much for spending time in Voices of Experience. Thank you, Paul. You just received some startling news. You're going to need brain surgery. But the doctor also says your prospects for total recovery are excellent. The doctor is very confident with his prognosis. He's performed hundreds of similar surgeries during his career. Who would you choose, this doctor or another doctor who's never performed this type of surgery? If the doctor who's performed similar surgeries is your choice, then experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and Eric Crema will be rejoining us for next week's show. Thanks to Pat Cashman for sharing his wisdom and experience with us today. And again, he has a podcast called Peculiar Podcasts with Lisa Foster. I also certainly want to thank the late Ido Vanni from an interview I had in the 1990s. Next week, Steve Rabel played as tight end for the Seattle Seahawks in their inaugural season in 1976. He was a weekday anchor for Cairo TV News from 1993 to his recent retirement in 2020. And he's a current play-by-play announcer for the Seattle Seahawks. What was it like playing for the Seahawks in the early days and for the late Jack Patera? Was there a hangover on the team after the loss to New England in the Super Bowl? What does he think about the Seahawks for this season? And just to let you know, he's really high on the Seahawks this year. Very encouraging. Any comments about what you heard today or want to share any information for a future show, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. One more time, Voices of Experience, we talk about public affairs, travel, fitness, education, history, current events, and entrepreneurship. Now, Voices of Experience airs on Kixie Wednesdays at 3 p.m. and is simulcast at that time with Hubbard sister station, KKNW, 1150 a.m. And then Voices of Experience is rebroadcast on Kixie only on Sundays at 11 a.m. Got that? My name is Paul Casey, and I want to thank 
executive producers Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. Quote of the week, many people walk through your life, but only a few leave footprints on your heart. Eleanor Roosevelt. At Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound, one youth, one mentor, plus one moment can unlock limitless potential. When you sign up to become a mentor with Big Brothers Big Sisters, you are matched one-on-one with a child in your community, a child with big potential. Hundreds of local youth are waiting. Be there for one of them. Big Brothers Big Sisters Puget Sound. Sign up today at MentorSeattle.org. That's MentorSeattle.org. You've been listening to the Voices of Experience Radio Network. No promotional fees have been paid by authors or other guests who appear on the show. If you have any comments or suggestions, call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. And finally, experience is our best teacher.
Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. What if the second deadliest cancer in men and women could be prevented? Would you try to avoid the pain? And what if you could protect yourself without leaving your home? Colorectal cancer is highly preventable. Screening is important, safe, and most people have options. Ask your doctor which screening test is right for you. Learn more from the Colorectal Cancer Alliance at GetScreened.org.